Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. God made everything and it was good. Our fellowship with Him was very good. But our rebellion shattered every relationship. Our sin brought the curse of death. We can see that things are not the way they are supposed to be. Our world is broken. We long for our redemption. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into our world. He lived and died and rose again before returning to his Father's right hand. Soon, Jesus will return. Every eye will see Him, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb slain for sinners who overcame, and He will make all things new. Even so, come. Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, Suffering. If you open your Bibles to Revelation 5, suffering is a normal and regular part of this life. It's a reality of this life, and it's true for those who follow Christ. And it's true for those who don't know Christ yet. I want to ask you life's most important question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? How do you view Jesus? There's a pastoral purpose unfolding in John's vision that we receive here. We began to open this vision of heaven two weeks ago. There's a pastoral purpose here. Gregory Beale says it this way. He says, The pastoral purpose is to assure suffering Christians that God and Jesus are sovereign and that the events Christians are facing are part of a sovereign plan that will culminate in their redemption and the vindication of their faith through the punishment of their persecutors. We must not forget as we go through the study of Revelation that this was written to seven churches. They would each receive this letter. And we studied through chapter 1, chapters 2, and 3. And we have seen the message, the divine message. And we're able to look as we moved into the throne room of heaven. And John was given a perspective to look at this life. Not from an earthly perspective but from a heavenly perspective. I love what J.I. Packer says. He says, we must turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God by turning each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. You catch that? If we ever devolve into just empty debates over Revelation, we've missed this, that we must turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God by turning each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and ultimately worship, praise to God. 
And if our study of Revelation doesn't produce that in us, we're getting it wrong. We're misunderstanding. We need to go back to the basics. So 2,000 years ago, near the city of Jerusalem, the crowds were gathered. John, the cousin of Jesus, was baptizing. And in John 1.29, he looks up and sees Jesus coming and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You hear what he's saying? Look, look, the Lamb of God. Look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then when Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth on a Roman cross, there a Roman centurion added his amen to that, saying in Matthew 27, 54, truly, truly this was the Son of God. Truly, this was the Son of God. What do you say about this Jesus who was crucified, buried, and rose again the third day? He ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father, and He is coming soon, church. He is coming soon. Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Will you read this aloud with me? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders of the, and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, add your voice in, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying with me to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Oh, God in heaven, how are we to respond with such a vision like this of heaven? Oh, may we respond with wonder and with grace and with simple obedience. May we respond in fear and in reverence, Lord, to you, and may we live our lives in devotion to the Lamb who was slain for sinners, who overcame. May to you be the honor and glory and praise. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, let's get straight to the point. You see it on your outline there. Why do followers make so much of Jesus? 
Let me ask you the question. Do Christians, do believers make too much of Jesus? Are we making too much of him? The church has been saying for 2,000 years that Jesus is required, that Jesus alone saves. Are we making too much of Jesus? He is our only hope in this life and in the life that is to come. So I have two questions at the outset. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is required? Do you believe that Jesus is your only hope in this life and for all eternity? And if so, then are you ready to meet him face to face? Because you and I and everyone else will meet him. We will see him face to face. He will be unveiled and every eye will see him. The scripture tells us this. And the scriptures do not lie. So then why? Why from this passage, from this vision, from Revelation 5, why do we make so much of Jesus? And I want to encourage us in this. I want to build us up in this, that this will recalibrate our thinking. That's the point. That's why it's here. First of all, without the lamb, there is utter despair. And we see this unfold in this passage. When that question is, sounds forth, who's worthy? Who is there that is worthy to take the scroll? And there's silence. Notice here what John witnessed. Behold the awesome scene. There's a transcendent vision of the glorious throne. And, and this is continued on from chapter 4. Words cannot fully convey the awesome scene that is here attempted to be described by John in this vision. The Lord God Almighty who is honored and extolled in chapter 4, He is worthy. The Lamb of God then in chapter 5 is given the same glory and honor. So this is powerful evidence that refutes all cults that would say Jesus is merely a good teacher. He, he was a, a good leader. He was a prophet. He, he gave some advice, and you should try to listen to him. Oh, and, and include everybody else in there as well. No. No, he's worthy of the same honor and glory that we saw given to God, the Father who sits on the throne in chapter 4. So behold this awesome scene. And then behold the ancient scroll that salvation history is coming to its consummation and in scrolls in the first century in the Roman world, a, a scroll would be sealed up. So the idea is there would be wax. Wax would be melted onto the, onto the scroll, onto the parchment, onto the document, document, and then there would be a seal, some type of family emblem that would mark that saying, here's the, here's the evidence, here's the, uh, the authenticity, and only someone with the seal is, is able to break this. It's sealed. You can't, no counterfeits. Scrolls were also essential in the Hebrew con economy. Back in Jeremiah's day, he was, he was told there's, gonna be, there's going to be a future, so go purchase a piece of property and get the, the title deed to it and seal it up. There will be a fulfillment. The one who would open this scroll would bring fulfillment to all the redeemed and judgment upon all the unredeemed. I wonder how that sits with you. In the day that we live in and everybody just, can't we just be nice? Can't we all just get along? And here comes this one group saying, it's not all roads lead to heaven. There's only one way, and it's Christians. See the ancient scroll. Witness the angel search. We see this unfold. The angel, he goes on a, on a search He's carrying out a search warrant. This search is energetic. He's moving throughout with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals, he says, and there's no answer. His search was exhaustive. He searches in heaven. He searches on earth. He searches under the earth. And there's only emptiness that comes up as a result of his search. No one, no angel, not Satan, not Abraham, not Moses, not Adam not David, none of the apostles, not Joseph, no president, no pro athlete, no one, no powerful CEO, no movie star, no famous musician, no one stands up and say, it's me, I'm worthy. Although they, 
they manage a lot of the social media and just the airwaves now. There's silence here and no one stands up. No emperor, no king, no mighty general. The angel's search comes up empty. So we can behold the apostle's sadness. We can understand that John was overwhelmed with grief and he begins to weep and he begins to weep loudly. He's overcome with a sense of hopelessness. It's the same word used when Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem and when Peter denied Christ and he went out and he wept bitterly. All of the tears from the Garden of Eden down through the centuries are wrapped up in this moment of John weeping, a sense of hopelessness, a sense of the lights are going out and there's no one worthy. Paul wrote in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. A paraphrase is that is there's hell to pay. The wages of sin is death. The lights are going out but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's, there's life. There's oxygen in the room. There's sunrise. John wept here at the notion of there being no one worthy, therefore no hope, that if there is no Savior, then loved ones, we are forever under the bondage of sin. We're forever doomed to whatever our own self can help. And we're under the reign and domain of Satan. So you're either here. There's only two types of people. Those who are still without hope, under the reign of you, self, king, me, and under your father, Satan, the devil, or people who said that, say, that's who I used to be. I used to live for myself. I used to be enslaved to Satan. And I used to be under all of that and under the doom of sin, but not anymore because... I belong to Jesus and he saved me. This is what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in 2.12. He said, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. There's a hopelessness. We've been focusing on this here lately in, in, our, in our times of Bible study and with youth ministry of those who are right now separated from Christ and they've never heard the name of Jesus. They've never heard the gospel proclaimed. And here we are, and you can find it everywhere in our country. And what are we doing to tell the people who've never heard? And Paul says, you remember when that was you? And no one had told you that there is a Savior? You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. And that is, here's the, here's the summation of the person who is without Christ. Having no hope, and without God, and you have to walk through the muck and the mire and the difficulty and the pain and the sorrow and loss of this life hopelessly, grasping at things and events and memories, and they're all going through your hand like sand. That was you, Ephesians, until the gospel came. All oh, loved ones, we will make much of Christ. Because without the lamb, there is utter despair. There's only utter despair. There's, there's hopelessness. Number two, through the lamb, there's ultimate victory. Through the lamb, there is ultimate victory. We see this in verses five through seven, that when all hope seems to be lost, when John is just weeping, he's brokenhearted, he's crushed. But through the Lamb, there's ultimate victory. Jesus changes everything. You believe that? Has He changed you? Is He changing you? you say, well, He's not done yet. Absolutely, but He'll finish. We studied that, Philippians 1.6. He'll finish what He started and He doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. So we see the elder's consolation here as John is just weeping. Maybe you've been there at some point in time and you've come along someone who their side and they're grieving and they're just crying uncontrollably and you don't know what to say. Have you been there? You want to say something that helps? You want to say something that isn't just a loose change statement that somebody else said once? You want to help, 
but you feel so in, incapable, inept. Well, here comes an elder, and he says, hey, stop your crying. Weep no more. This just in, right? Breaking news. Headline, alert. The situation looks like it can't be any more severe, but it's not the end of the story, loved ones. We all need this comfort. We all need this hope that extends beyond the grave. So take all of your grief, take all of your pain and your suffering and your questions and your doubts and all your fear, and we don't have to lie about them. We don't have to minimize them. The question is not, do we have pain and anxiety and fear and doubt and sin and struggle? The question is, where do we go with it? Where do you go with it? The Psalms teach us to go to God with all of that. Don't hide it. Confess it. Say the same thing about it that God says. It's where we go for the answers. Will we go to someone that can help? Will we look up and fix our eyes on Jesus, our only hope? So he says, hey, calm down. Stop your crying. Situation isn't what you think it is. And we see the victor's identification here. He says, hey, look, behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, look, fix your eyes on this one. The root of David is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The Lamb of God is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is all messianic. This descendant of Jacob, this goes all the way back to Genesis. When Jacob was dying, name changed to Israel, and he's giving the blessing over his sons. We studied this passage, I don't know, a long time ago. We went through Genesis the second half of Genesis. And I just remember this grandfather, you know. And there he is and he's blessing. And in Genesis 49 verse 8, this is what he has to say about Judah and just the textual space that is given to Judah. Now, as, as we see this here, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Okay, now this is, without the background to this, Judah was not a great guy. Judah was a dishonorable man. But Judah repented. Judah owned his sin and dealt with his sin and humbly repented of his sin. And this is the one that God can use. So out of nowhere comes this blessing, which is actually from heaven through Jacob to this child, Judah, who repented. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Wait a second, that sounds like Joseph. See, all the brothers would have been hearing this. this is, what is this? Verse 9, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the, here's this word we use often, peoples. That's every language group on earth, peoples. Verse 11, just in our reading this week, we read of the triumphal entry, and there's this out of nowhere the colt that's bound to the vine and the binding of the vine and the binding. And you're like, whoa, what, what are the details here? Here it is, right here. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Look at this one. Well, John the Apostle, he would have had all of that imagery in mind. The lion of the tribe of Judah, that the Lamb of God has conquered, that he did not, Jesus did not bypass the cross. He was tempted by Satan, and even Peter picked that up. Come on, Lord, stop talking about the cross already. Stop talking about all this suffering. Get thee behind me, 
Satan. You're thinking, you're thinking man-centered thoughts. You're thinking earthly. You're not thinking heavenly, Peter. And you've got some lessons to learn. Get thee behind me, Satan. And Jesus so loved and honored his Father, so desired a people for himself, that he submitted himself to death, even the death of the cross. Loved ones, if a person comes, and there have been many people, they're influential, they're charismatic, they can fill arenas, they can sell a lot of books, they can get a lot of subscribers on social media to follow them. But if you're putting your faith and hope and trust in a person, here's the problem. Eventually, they all die. And then someone else takes their place. And sometimes the effect of their teaching, their false teaching, can carry on generation upon generation upon generation after their death. But if you're going to put your faith and trust in someone, if you're going to understand what changed the apostles from being miserable, 12, constant pain in the sides to Jesus, into 11 and then added 12 and later, Saul becomes Paul, and there's another apostle added, and they change the world. You have to say, what happened? He left them, and then through them he changed the world. How does that happen? Because he rose from the dead. And they saw him, and they believed him. And then he ascended, and he said, I'm coming back. And so they took his word literally, and they set out on mission after the Spirit came and indwelled them, and here we are 2,000 years later because there's been a faithful line of gospel witness from this day forward. What will be said after us? How are our lives, your life, my life, how are we adding into the increase or just staying the same of the number of those who will say, worthy is the lamb who is slain? The lamb of God has all authority to open the scroll and its seven seals. He learned obedience and therefore he is able to save, the Bible tells us, to the uttermost. He alone is qualified to judge the unrepentant. It's exactly what we read in Daniel's vision. Daniel 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. Just a little note, son of man. That is the, that is the term for deity that the Israelites would have understand, Jesus claiming to be God. So you'll hear people saying today, well, why didn't Jesus just say, I'm God? He did, right there. Favorite term, his favorite title, son of man. And Israelites took up stones because they knew exactly what he was saying. That wouldn't be how he would, he would die. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, verse 14, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth. Remember what you read in Daniel 7? It's all mine. It's all mine. And then what does he tell his disciples to do? Go make disciples. Go in that authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is the commission that we are given by the one who's been given all authority. So we see his identification, but we also see the believer's eternal representation. Now, this is most unusual. John's head is bowed. He hears the one described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then he lifts up his eyes and he sees a lamb. A lamb standing as though it had been slain. This is shocking. Loved ones, how do we view the sin in our own lives? How sensitive are we to the things that we allow in? And God crushed his son because of my sin. How much thought do I give to the sin in my own life? Oh, God will just let me slide. He crushed his son. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And Peter says, because he is holy, you be holy. You're going to look like your father in heaven. He's going to see to it, even if it means discipline. And it's all in the context of love. The Passover lamb that lamb would have been brought into the household of an Israelite family. They would have treated that little lamb like a pet for four days. There would be a bond. You know how little animals are, just cuteness and, and wonderful. It's long before that lamb turns into an old sheep that bites and kicks and just, just ticks you off, you know. No, this is a little lamb. Mary had a little lamb. You know, just so cute. And the kids, Why? Is God desiring the sacrifice of a lamb? No, he's teaching his people the depravity and the cost of our sin. And he's showing them you need a substitute. And he's, he would have every right to take every Israelite and every Gentile family and have them destroyed. But instead he says there's going to be a substitute and it's this lamb. So fathers, teach your children of the holiness and the omnipotence and the love of God and the grace of God that he supplied, like he said to Abraham, God will provide us a lamb, himself a lamb, Isaac. And teach your families this. Romans 1.18, Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? An unrighteous person is a person who has no repentance. There's no change in their life. They may, may feel bad about sin once in a while. They may you know, be upset that they got caught in their sin. But there's no desire, there's no hunger for holiness. They're unrighteous. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, well, who's left then? That's all of us. If you're in that list, raise your hand, right? I put my foot up too. But here's the change. This is where Paul gets to the change the gospel makes. Verse 11, and such were some of you. Now, a side note, this is, this is where I would take issue with an Alcoholics Anonymous that has people stand up week after week and say, I am an alcoholic. If you are in Christ, loved ones, and I'm not dismissing the good work done by people trying to overcome horrific habits in their life and addictions. But if you're in Christ, you're no longer defined by whatever your sin was. Whether that be homosexuality, whether that be you used to steal, whether you were lazy, whether you were rebellious, whether you were sexually immoral, whatever it was that you once were known 
for. When you come to faith in Christ, that's no longer your identity. You're given a new identity. And so are you saying, well, pastor, will you still struggle? Yeah, you'll still struggle with those sins, but that's not who you are. You're in Christ now. And so therefore, if you're in Christ, everything is new. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are come new. It's a whole message in and of itself, but it's worth saying right here. Such were some of you. But you, look at the tense here, you were washed. You were sanctified. You, past tense, were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God that now lives in you. So greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And all God's people said, amen. So there's no sin that holds the title deed over to my life anymore if, here's the big condition, I'm in Christ. If you are in Christ. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. The Lamb of God still bears the marks of his death for our atonement in his body, loved ones. He still retains his humanity and he always lives to intercede on our behalf he always lives. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He said, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, this is what is called the great exchange that we give when, when a sinner trusts in Jesus, they give their sin to the Lord. And what does he give them? He imputes to their account. He incredits to their account all of his righteousness so that we are justified. What does that mean? That means that God can look on a sinner in Christ and treat that sinner as if he has never sinned and as if he's always perfectly obeyed. That God treated me He's able to treat me the way Jesus should have been treated because he treated Jesus the way I should be treated, crucified. Do you understand that? It's the great exchange. What do I have to bring to the table? Sin, shame, rags. Filthy rags of self-righteousness. They atone for nothing. What does he have? Righteousness, grace, mercy, peace, himself. What a deal. What do you have? Uh, a rag? Okay, I'll give you an inheritance and joint heir with Christ. Are you kidding me? Should we not be in awe of the lamb that was slain? So it doesn't just put us then over here in this camp, you know, just refugees, just sit over there. Just stay over there, and then one day he'll come for us, and then, and then that's it, you know. No, 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 no. No, he's able to save. We're able to take this message everywhere. Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So if you're here this morning... Or you work with a person and you think, I don't, know if, I don't know if I could ever see them worshiping the Lord. I've heard them talk. I, don't, I just can't see it. Well, maybe you're looking at it in an earthly perspective and not from heaven's perspective because right here it says he's able to save to the uttermost. Do you know what I've done? He does. I don't need to. He does and he died for you. He's able to save to the uttermost. But you must draw near to God through him. And he always lives. He always lives to make intercession for them. The Lamb of God is the only one qualified. He's the only one qualified to take this scroll. He is highly exalted. We study that in Philippians 2. And look at what he has done for those who are in Christ. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Who is this great high priest? Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet here's the difference between Jesus and you and me. Without what? Sin. Sinless. 
the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So what does this death, burial, and resurrection accomplish for us who are in Christ? The door is thrown wide open. The invitation is wide open to you and for you and for me to take this invitation and take it globally. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You in a time of need right now? I think we kind of live in a time of need, don't we? Loved ones, the lamb with seven horns, what does that mean? He's completely perfect in power. He's omnipotent. The lamb with seven eyes, he is omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. The Holy Spirit sent out into all the earth. So without the lamb, there's utter despair. But through the lamb comes ultimate victory. And we see this as this chapter crescendos here, to the lamb will be unceasing praise. To the lamb will be unceasing praise. There are three songs here, three hymns that crescendo this exposition. The Lamb is forever exalted. He, Jesus Christ, alone is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because of all that He is and all that He has done, and where it is all going. And so this in chapter four, we saw two hymns. We looked at those last Lord's Day. And then today we see three more hymns added. We started off with the four creatures and they had their hymn and then the response of the 24 elders. And so you see there's, there's, with these, these hymns, they're compounding. Hymn number three, Worthy, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. All these ransomed people from every tribe and language, and people, and nation. That particular line we're going to see seven times in Revelation. Right here, 5, 9, 7, 9, 10, 11, 11, 9, 13, 7, 14, 6, 17, 15. Seven times we're going to see these ransomed people. Does God have a heart for people from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation? Seven times in Revelation. He's worthy. He's worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. He is worthy to receive glory. And we see this in the fourth hymn because he was slain and he was resurrected. So he still bears the marks of his crucifixion in his body. Now all of heaven adds their voice into this anthem of praise. The volume is going up a notch, right? With each one of the hymns, there are more voices being added into this hymn. Around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing because it's all his. It's all from him, for him, and to him. And he is worthy, loved ones, to receive the same honor and the same glory that is due to the Father, the Lord God Almighty, there's no contradiction here. Jesus is part of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So we see now every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. How loud is this? I mean, this is intense. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. 
It sounds so similar to what Paul wrote to the Philippians chapter 2, 9. He said, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the one who sits on the throne, the Father. This is why we interpret the Bible with the Bible. Jesus was the one promised and given for sinners. Jesus was the one slain and resurrected on the third day. Jesus was victorious and he is exalted forevermore. Therefore, if you are in Christ, you are never without hope. If you are living life side by side with people who don't know Christ, you are not without a message of hope for them. And neither am I. Oh, loved ones, may we worship Jesus, the Lamb of God. Do you see it? It'll come in a summary on the screen. Why do we make so much of Jesus? Why does the church make so much of Jesus? Because without Christ, it's only utter despair. That's it. You have this life. This is as close to heaven as you get. And then there's hell to pay. And this message is sobering. Oh, but through the Lamb, there's ultimate victory. That's victory over sin right here, right now, but ultimately over the very presence of sin when we're with him face to face. And to the Lamb of God, there will be unceasing praise. And I ask you again, have you added your voice into the worship of the Lamb of God who is slain for sinners? What is our right response? Well, if you're here without Christ... I would urge you, I could command you, but that doesn't mean you'll do anything about it. I invite you, trust in Jesus. Repent of your sin and trust in him. The apostle Peter preached the message, Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, what's the word? Must. Must be saved. You must be saved. You must trust in Christ. In the early 1700s, hundreds, there was a, just a regular Sunday morning. I was just thinking about this and this passage, and I've known this account for a long time. Two Moravian missionaries. And just a regular Sunday morning like this, the Lord's Day. Two young people hear the message, and they hear that there are people on an island in slavery And the owner of that island has made a vow that no gospel message will ever reach them, ever. Their names, these two young Germans, John Leonard Dober, David Nitschmann. And this island was in the West Indies. The atheist British owner had two to 3,000 slaves from Africa on this island. He even made a proclamation, if anybody shipwrecks on this island, they're not going to talk to anybody. We'll we'll house them and we're going to get them off this island. No one will hear about Jesus on this island. There on that island, they heard about this on a Sunday morning and these two guys said, we got to do something. And what they ended up doing is they ended up selling themselves into slavery. They sold themselves these two young guys in their 20s, they sold themselves into the possession of that slave owner on that island. The Moravian community from Heronhut came to see them off. Just imagine this. There's mothers, there's fathers, there's the church. They come and they're getting on the ship. They paid the fare. They're selling themselves into slavery They get aboard the ship, and that ship cuts anchor, heads out to sea, and this, this quote is what they say. It's coming on the screen. May, Revelation 5, may the Lamb receive the reward for his suffering. 
And they went to that island. And they had ministry there. Eventually, I don't know what happened, they were released. Maybe the guy didn't want them on the island anymore. Like, thank you, but get out of here. And they were useful. And that tempered the Moravian missions. You think you'd be changed by that? You think your life would go on the same if you watched and you witnessed that kind of response to Revelation 5? That kind of a broken heart for those without Christ and had no chance of anyone getting to them. And they said, oh, there is a chance, but it's going to take us selling ourselves, giving away our freedom. Oh, don't we love our freedom so that they can hear that there's a lamb slain for sinners. And they watched those two fade off in the bay as that ship left. May the lamb receive the reward for his suffering. Oh, church, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. What's our next step? What's your next step that the lamb would receive the full reward from your life for his suffering? Take the step now, today, Will you stand with me? Father, thank you for sending your one and only Son to bear the weight of our sin, to become sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. May this message go forth in power of the Holy Spirit today, Lord, and may the Lamb receive the full reward of his suffering in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved. <laughs>